following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thank you, Ariana. You know, um, our texted me um, and said, with all this other stuff going on, do you want to push that back to another, another time? And I was tempted because there is a lot going on. There's a lot that I wanted to communicate today about so many different things. Um, in the end, I said, no, we, I think we need that. We need a few minutes of peace. We need to um, <clears throat> be kind of, let something visual and beautiful wash over us. Um, we might even need to stare at a screen for three minutes or an image for three minutes and not know what on earth anything means today. It's an incredibly full day with so much to occupy our minds. That meditation we just completed, the gallery tonight with major announcements about the future of our church, preparing for this exciting worship experience with Baber and all that means to us and means to them and has meant to our community and lots more. And all of that stuff is, is in our minds, at the front of our minds. And that's even before, other than, other than the responsive prayer we did at confession, that's before we even talk about the tragic and disgusting events that happened in Charlottesville this weekend. Now, typically when something... Um, with such importance and national interest happens, I will throw away my sermon text for the day and we'll focus on that. Uh, we did that with Ferguson. We did it with Orlando. Um, we did it with Minneapolis. And today, um, I actually don't think I need to to set aside my intended sermon text from the book of First Kings, if you can imagine such a thing. Because <laughs> I think somewhere in the text that we're going to look at, it, it, it has something to say to somebody in this room about the pressing events of our world. And um, I, I just knew that tr was true in my heart all day yesterday as I was agonizing about what to, what to say today. And poor, poor Tracy, by the way. Send Tracy a card or some chocolate or something because when I get in that state, I'm just like despondent and t she gets the, the brunt of it via text message <laughs> while I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do and what to say. And then I realized and I thought that maybe, and I hope this doesn't sound too self-important or self-centered, I thought that maybe the text from 1 Kings was actually just for me and the job that I have to do right now. Maybe it's for you too. I don't know. But I think, it's, I think it's at least in part for me. And so let me read it to you. And then I'll say what I need to say and um, you can be the judge. If you'd like to follow along, it's from 1 Kings chapter 19. And in these red Bibles, that would be on page 284. 
verses 9 through 18. These are just, this is just one of the texts that's assigned by the lectionary for today. Before I went on vacation, I thought, I have a couple of weeks to fill before the fall gets started. I don't know what to do, so we'll just throw the lectionary in there. It's always, it always works. Sometimes it works better than others, and I don't know. Elijah is uh, the prophet of Israel, and he has been railing against the corrupt king Ahab and the corrupt, corrupt king's corrupt wife, Jezebel. And they want to kill him. And so he flees. And we pick it up kind of mid-flight in verse 9. Where he has come to Mount Horeb, which is where Moses received the Ten Commandments, at least in one of the tellings. And at that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, and now I want you to hear these words, I want you to mark them down, and I want you to see what happens at the end of this passage. The Lord says to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And God said, go out. And stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer Silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, Does this sound familiar to you? What are you doing here, Elijah? Exactly the same words were asked, and exactly the same words are given in reply. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Were you not listening to me before you made all that noise? (laughs) That's an interpolation, I guess. And then the Lord said to him, Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And then it goes on to give specific instructions, which don't actually bode very well for Elijah. He turns him around and sends him back through the wilderness that he came through, into the mouth of the danger that he was fleeing. I think naming this thing that happened is important. I think saying only, this is a terrible tragedy, is not enough. I think uh, describing it as very sad is a cop-out. What happened this weekend in Charlottesville, Virginia, was the act of violent white supremacists. It was an act of radical domestic terrorism. It was an act committed by emboldened racists. 
And it will not do to say only what so many of our politicians of both parties have said in the past 36 hours, which is something along the lines of, racism and violence have no place in America. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. And it's a lie. It's a lie that racism and violence have no place in America. Because when a country is founded and settled by white Europeans who systematically and intentionally destroy the native population that's in their way as they head west, when its fields are planted, its crops produced, and its wealth generated by shipful after shipful after shipful of African slaves who toil under whips borne by white masters, and when the legacies of our twin original sins of genocide and slavery still ring in our ears today, listen, Pastor Simmons of Baber is going to be standing right where I'm standing next week, seven days from now. I had lunch with him a few weeks ago, and he told me that his grandmother... His grandmother is a character. If you happen to be lucky enough to be friends with Pastor Simmons on Facebook, you get to hear a lot of stories that his, what his grandmother says to him. She is in her 90s, and she has no blanks left to give. <laughs> right? He told me his grandmother heard stories from her grandfather of being a slave. Pastor Simmons's grandmother's grandfather, named, if you can believe it, I am not making it up, Moses, led his family out of slavery into the promised land of southern Pennsylvania. Has your, your grandmother ever told you a story about her grandparents? Or if you happen to be old enough to be Pastor Simmons's parent, Has your parent ever told you a story about their grandparents? That's the range of time we're talking about. There are people alive today who heard firsthand accounts of slavery, American slavery. So when I say it's still ringing in our ears today, it's partly because it's actually a lot closer than some of us would like to admit or recognize. But it's also because the legacy of slavery persists today in our society. You can trace the line from slavery to Jim Crow to the KKK to redlining to the school-to-prison pipeline to mass incarceration to the war on drugs and how it's implemented. And so saying racism and violence have no place in America is the kind of lie that's part of the problem. I didn't even get to violence. I don't have time to do my rant on violence in America and how we worship it. God bless our poor veterans who put their lives on the line for every single president in our history to every corner of the globe trying to solve the problems of the world with violence. That's part of the rant. That's all I'm going to give you this time. Saying that racism and violence have no place in America is, is the, the lie that is part of the problem what we need to stay, say instead, what would be true and what might actually begin to change things for us is that racism and violence have no place in Christ's kingdom. Because, as Ephesians 2 says, He is our peace who has, 
in his flesh made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. And in him, as we hear in Galatians chapter 3, there is no longer any Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. And you could add all of the modern day dichotomies to this list. For all of us are one in Christ Jesus. Racism and violence have no place in Christ's kingdom, and Christ's kingdom is not part of this world. It does not belong to it. He said said so himself. That's in John 18. And if we claim to follow Jesus, if we claim to follow the Prince of Peace, if we claim to follow the One who has put His body on the line that divides us, we ought to be so consumed in our passion for His way that we forsake all others, that we speak out against any kingdom, any principality, any nation, even our beloved home that fails to obey the call of the apostle who urged us to be of the same mind as Christ, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, and to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves, even if you were not one of the people marching with a tiki torch on the University of Virginia Friday night, shouting racial slogans. It is so easy to make fun of those people. If you're like me, you go to sarcasm and you start making fun of the fact that they apparently went to Pier 1 on their way to the march to get these ridiculous torches. But I have some luxury to, to try to make light of it. That's how I can cope with it because, let's be honest, they weren't coming for me. It's so easy for, even if you're not inclined to that type of thing, to just to, to say how awful they are and how... How terrible it is that there's these isolated white supremacists down there in Virginia. And oh boy, I'm glad I don't live in the South. How many people have said that or heard that or read that in the past two days? It's easy. The demands of the gospel of peace are placed on all of us. And part of our work is to acknowledge that we, in some ways, are complicit and benefit from these systems that continue to oppress people in our country. And we have to call out our own history as Americans. And guess what? All you Christo-anarchists who want to take that his kingdom is not of this world thing and say, well, I'm not a citizen of any nation on earth, I'm a citizen of heaven, and, and be all, all spiritual with your, <laughs> with your views, which I have been known to do, I'm sorry to tell you that the church has been cheering this on at almost every stage of the way. Every chapter of this story of racism in America and violence in America has had Christian ministers and Christian churches leading the charge from the founding of America as a colonial outpost of Christendom to manifest destiny, 
to some of the most disgusting sermons you could ever hope to imagine, in which ministers of Christ's gospel railed against the abolition of slavery, saying that any man who dismantles slavery is dismantling a divine institution of God and rejecting the plain teachings of Holy Scripture. You can go find those sermons. They didn't burn them up. If you want to get a little cut a little closer to home, we could talk about how well we don't want to do that, do we? It's not enough for us to say we're the church, we're different. We need to help our broader society repent of its sins. We need to repent of the sins that we have committed as the church. The people of God have been complicit at best, actively engaged in perpetuating it in many cases. Just as Elijah pointed out twice that Israel had forsaken God's covenant, we who are heirs to the promise of Abraham, we who are bearers of the new covenant, the one that Jesus said is his blood poured into these cups for us, we need to admit that we have forsaken the new covenant, just as Israel forsook the old. And so when the world is blowing up all around us, when the winds are splitting mountains apart and breaking rocks, when the earth is shaking and every single thing on every table is falling off and breaking on the floor, when we fear the fire and the fury We may look for God in the midst of all that noise. We may be tempted to say, God, how are you using this to change your world? It may be instead that we find God in the sheer sound of silence that follows. in the times when we make no sound because we have no words. And in that silence, we hear God asking us that question that He asked Elijah twice. What are you doing here? And we say to God, these people, they've forsaken your covenant. And if I say anything about it, they'll kill me. They'll... Um, disinvite me from Thanksgiving. They'll write me out of their will. They'll leave my church right before a capital campaign. And God's response might be, turn yourself around. Go back through that wilderness you just ran through. Get back into the mess and do something about it. Speak the truth to power. Anoint new kings. By the way, he says, anoint a new prophet. Name what you see. There may not be many people left when you're done. But I am faithful.
So what are we going to do? We've clasped our hands in prayer. You've heard what I have to say. Seven days from today, this room is going to look and feel a lot different than it does right now. It's going to be full of a type of diversity that we don't usually experience on Sundays when we're together. And we're going to be looking into the eyes of people whose hearts might be broken by these events in ways that for most of us is only an abstract reality. I have said for years that relationships are the key to this. I would not have been able to preach this message five years ago because I wouldn't have been able to own it. I wouldn't have understood it. I would have rejected most of what I just said to you. And it is my friendship with Pastor Simmons and other uh, colleagues of color who have, that has brought me to the place where I see this truth for what it is. My notes ran out. (laughs) I'm still talking. We need to take communion together. We need to sing together. We're going to sing some songs that that seem very hopeful. Just like we passed the peace when we didn't necessarily feel it earlier. That That is part of the gospel life as well. I leave the question open because the wounds are themselves still open. I want to walk this road together with you and with our friends. And I don't want to be fleeing from the truth and from the ugliness like Elijah was doing. I want us to have the bravery to turn around and run back through that wilderness right into the thick of it. To be there proclaiming the gospel in its fullness and beauty. Not in an effort to convert people to to put one more notch on the belt of people going to heaven instead of hell. But to bring the truth of the gospel to bear in the world that we have around us right now. Christ said that the new covenant is poured out into the cups. It's his blood. We have the table of the Lord on offer for ourselves today. Jesus continually offers himself to us, and so we continually offer the sacrament of communion to you. We continually uh, receive it from him. If you need Jesus, come to the table and get him. I know I do. I usually say a lot more spiritual stuff than that, but I think I'm going to leave it there. Let's continue to worship him in fear and trembling, in joy and sorrow, in song and silence, and in sacrament. Our table is open. Come if you will. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.